Welcome to the official podcast for Heresy Hunters. I'm Micah, and I'm super excited to be here and continue our series on covering the charismatic movement. So I'm super excited about this topic because it is a really prevalent topic that most people just do not want to talk about, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is this something that's biblical? Is this something that we saw in the last episode that came from the experience that that young girl had with Parham? Did it come from foreign missionaries, um, like we saw in the last episode, that experienced this, and this drove people into a continuation of the experience? That's the question. So we're going to address these, uh, this question with Scripture, because that's the most important part, right? Because we understand that personal experience never trumps Scripture. So let's continue. So I think the first thing that we need to understand is... What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? What is baptism? And did the Holy Spirit indwell believers in the Old Testament? So the first thing to address is what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Now, to many um, denominations, uh, many charismatics, if not all, they believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it is a supernatural experience that happens to a believer after they come to Christ and they are indwelled with power from on high, which is a verse that they usually use to justify it. And in that uh, indwelling, they uh, automatically speak in other tongues to show that they have the Holy Spirit. Now, that is that is majority, if not all, of charismatics. Now, to understand the context that the word baptism carries in a lot of the verses that they use to justify it, we need to understand first that baptism means immersion. It means to be immersed on, especially in the verses that we are about to bring up. So what is the Holy Spirit and was it indwelling the people in the Old Testament? Now we know that no one in the Old Testament was indwelled by the Spirit of God, meaning like we are indwelled now. They were given the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit took possession of people, and then it left. Example, Samson and many others so we understand that the holy spirit was only given unto us in pentecost to be to, for us to be indwelled fully with the spirit of god and guided right because we understand that the holy spirit is our seal and our guarantee which we'll see a little bit later okay so having that in the back of our minds we can continue um and for those who are curious all the questions that I'm going to go through are actually questions that I found after doing much research um, on many websites like the Assemblies of God website, the Apostolic Pentecostal website. A lot of denominations, I looked through their website and a lot of their frequently asked questions. And believe it or not, their answers were basically the same. So the interesting part uh, that I realized was that each denomination and each sect of uh, this movement of uh, charismatic Pentecostal, they only have five common verses to justify their doctrine. And it's interesting because a lot of these are out of context. And we're going to see this right now. So I'm going to give you the first two verses that they use to justify the doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So the first one is found in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. You might be familiar with this one. So it says, and this, is, uh, and this is John the Baptist, quote, I baptize you with water for repentance, 
But he who com- is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And we know that, right? We know um, that scenario then. And we I want to uncover the context here because for them this means, see, when we come to Christ and we are baptized, nothing happens. Because just like, just like then in Matthew 3, people were baptized and, and actually repented, but they never received the Holy Spirit because the only one that gives the Holy Spirit is Jesus. So there is a period where we don't have the Holy Spirit and Jesus comes and he gives this to us. That passage, my friends, does not correlate with that. This is way out of context, right? Because what we see in this passage is that um, John the Baptist is doing what he was called to do by God and was actually prophesied to do before um, before the, the uh, before Christ even appeared, was that there was going to come someone that was going to prepare the way for the Lord, right? A voice in the wilderness. So that is the job of John the Baptist. He was preparing the way for Jesus Christ. He was bringing people to repentance, telling them there is going to come one who baptize you with with the Holy Spirit and fire, there's going to become this mightier than I. Like, repent and believe. Like, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? He was sent to prepare the way for Christ. This back, this, this uh, verse is pointing to the fact that we are commanded to repent and believe in the gospel. That's the purpose of this, of this passage. That John the Baptist was getting the hearts of the people ready for Christ. Not anything else. So now that we understand the context, we can see that this is not a good passage to justify that. It has nothing to do with the doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Only, only that Jesus is the one that baptizes with the Holy Spirit, meaning he gives us, he immerses us in the Spirit of God. I can see that, but not the doctrine that they speak of. So the next verse that they normally use is Luke chapter 11, verse 13. And it begins like this, quote, If you then, who are evil, speaking of us, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So, again, context, context, context. In this passage in Luke 11, Jesus is clearly talking about the power of prayer and how when we who are evil give good gifts, you know, we do it out of our evil intent and our, um, you know, our malice and iniquity. However, if we give good gifts to us who are evil, like how much more God, right? The comparison here that he's making, especially when we look at the rest of the Synoptic Gospels, is that what he's referring to here is prayer and God's, um, God's ability to give his people what they need that's the whole context of that right but no they use this to say see we have not the holy spirit because we ask not the holy spirit and that's another verse that they try to sweep in there and the whole idea of we don't have because we don't ask have you ever read james like james chapter one when he says you have not because you ask not when it comes to prayer He's not talking about that we don't receive because we don't ask. He says you don't receive because you ask to fulfill it in your passions. Read the verse after that, right? So we need to understand Scripture in its context. This is what happens when we go through um, 
when we try to get one or two verses and make it mean what our doctrine means. It is dangerous, guys. Super dangerous. And literally, those are the only two verses that they would die on a hill for. Guess what? They're out of context. And, and that's the two that they mainly use to justify the doctrine. And then when you really press them, right, and you ask them the question, well, once a person is baptized in the Holy Spirit, why is it necessary to be refilled later, right? Like, that's the question that we should be asking. Like, why would anybody need to be refilled if they were already filled in the first place by the Holy Spirit, right? Because we understand um, that when, we, when the Lord draws us, when God draws us to, to, to Jesus, Jesus justifies us and saves us and he lifts us up in the and, and he will lift us up in the in the last day but in that process of regeneration the holy spirit does in our life as we know that he transforms what our heart of stone into a heart of flesh we understand that the working of the holy spirit and the regeneration of the holy spirit is what makes us believers makes us repent and believe in the gospel right and once we are saved then we are sealed by the spirit of god and we will see this passage soon, but we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. So if we're sealed then and filled, then why would we need to be refilled? It doesn't make sense. Um, why would we need to be refilled if we have already been indwelled? That is the question to ask, and they cannot answer it properly. See, they would answer it this way, guys. They would go to Acts 1.5. And again, these answers are online, guys. I'm not making these up. They're in their uh, frequently asked questions. They answer it this way. It is very weak answers. Acts chapter 1, verse 5. This is what they used to justify this second indwelling. Quote, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not too many days from now. Now, you might be asking, what in the world? <laughs> right? That's what I ask. Like, well, that verse in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, is Jesus talking to his disciples, and he's saying, after he's, you know, in that moment where he just died, resurrected, and he says, you know, I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He says, wait here, and I will give you the Spirit of God, and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, right? So they're waiting for this promise that Jesus told them, that was going to happen, and we know that it did happen in Acts chapter 2. So that's the context, right? So they use that as saying, see, Jesus says to his disciples that were apparently already saved and had already the Holy Spirit, that they, he was going to come and he was going to indwell them the second time, was going to empower them by the Spirit of God and something that they've never experienced before, that they were actually going to have the Spirit of God in a second measure. That's not in the passage, guys. Where is that in that? That is a lot of reading into the passage to get to that conclusion. And that is my point. And then the other verse that they normally use is the verse literally right after um, in Acts chapter 2 where it says, And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. And that's Acts chapter 2 verse 4. So then they're like, see, that's, that's what he promised. And what we need to understand that that is not in context, guys. Yes, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they begin to speak in other tongues. But why? Why? Speaking in tongues. Is that biblical? Why? Why did they speak in tongues? Was it gibberish? Was it cohesive languages? What was that? 
Well, you're going to have to listen to the next uh, next podcast because that's what I'm going to talk about, speaking in tongues. So tune in for that. <laughs> but that passage where it says, and they were filled with the Spirit of God, is not justifying a second indwelling of the Spirit of God. And we were, we'll, we'll address that in the next podcast. But again, that is a weak passage. It's a weak verse to justify that. And uh, to continue on, then we will have to ask another question which was asked in their website, which is, why are some people baptized in the Spirit immediately, meaning after they believe, while others seek so long without receiving the experience? That is a fair question. How is it that some people, when they come to the Lord, they're indwelled with the Spirit of God, and they experience a heart change, but then they never experience what you talk about? But yet others, it happens immediately, apparently. That's a fair question. I can't even tell you how many people ask that question because I would say the majority of every single person in the charismatic movement, many of them have never experienced what they talk about here, the manifestations that they talk about. Some of them make it up just to feel like they actually fit in or they are um, actually indwelled because many people say that if you don't experience this, you might not be even indwelled with the Spirit of God. I've talked to many people that would consider reformed people like me People that are only um, that are only uh, spirit filled but not saved. How does that even make sense? Spirit filled but not saved. Spirit filled but don't have the power. That's idiocracy, guys. Like that does not make sense. That is not scriptural. And that is what they say about many people that do not believe what they believe. And it is really sad. And it's not all of them. So I don't want to generalize. Not all of them. There's many people that I've met that are charismatic that would never tell me hey you're not saved because you don't speak in tongues you're not saved because you don't believe this or that there's many people that actually don't believe that as well but they all adhere to the same um, scripture to justify their doctrine and this is what i'm talking about uh this is not good enough those verses are not good enough to prove anything they're out of context we need to really research so the question at hand is why do some wait and others don't well they use <laughs> they use Luke chapter 24 verse 49 to answer this. Quote says this. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, okay, context. Who's speaking? Jesus. Who is he speaking to? His disciples. What's happening here? He is telling them the same thing that we just read in Acts chapter Acts chapter 1, what was going to happen, they were going to be indwelled by the Spirit of God, and they were going to be His witnesses till the end of the age, right? So they're waiting for the indwelling of the Spirit of God, and Jesus tells them, okay, wait here in the city, this is the context, wait here in the city till I clothe you from on high, till I give you the Spirit of God so you can be my witnesses, right? So that is what Jesus is saying to His disciples before He tells them in Acts 1-5, again, um, as the account in Luke says, of what's going to happen. So, what we do know from this passage is that Jesus is telling his disciples, wait till I clothe you on high. So their um, understanding of that passage is a literal understanding for us today. So when we get saved and we're indwelt with the Spirit of God, they believe that we have a waiting period like like the disciples had. Um, For those that don't experience experience it automatically, because they believe two things. You can either experience it automatically, and they will justify that with um, a couple of the occurrences in Acts chapter 2, 
Um, and three, where some of the Gentiles are filled with the Holy Spirit and they start speaking in tongues. Again, we will address that in the next podcast. But they would use that passage. And then they would say, some people were indwelled immediately, manifested immediately. Others don't manifest immediately. And there is a waiting period that we must experience. And that waiting period that justified by Luke chapter 24, verse 49, as the disciples were clothed on high, we must wait to be clothed on high. No, <laughs> no, that is not a good interpretation of this passage. It is out of context. Guys, context, context, context. That is the most important thing. Do not take scripture out of context. It is dangerous. It is damaging. So what is my justification? Like when I when I see this, right, when I see these verses taken out of context, when I see people saying, well, hey, there's others that are going to be filled. There's a waiting time, etc." That question, like it makes me think of Ephesians chapter one, verse 13 to 14. Let's just read it. Quote, it says in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were what? were sealed with the promise holy spirit who is what the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory so what we see in this passage is clear that when we heard the word of truth which is the gospel we and believed because of the power of the holy spirit making our hearts of stone into a heart of flesh we were then sealed. Now, when you seal something, it is completely sealed. It is, it is completely and utterly a, is stamped in place. And we are stamped in place and sealed, not to be opened, not the ability to anyone open the seal, by the Holy Spirit. Because why? Because it's a guarantee it is our inheritance. So that is what the Holy Spirit is. And when he and when he indwells us, he is our guarantee. He transforms us, he reshapes us, he keeps us in the Lord. It is his power that is mighty and strong in our lives. And there isn't a second indwelling or a power or more powerful indwelling to say that the Holy Spirit does not have the power immediately to do something in our lives and to equip us and empower us, like he says in his word, that he will do in the beginning and needs some sort of waiting time to be able to kick in. That is a horrible, horrible interpretation of scripture. And it is a direct attack to sola scriptura. So let's stop it. That is not the truth. It's not the truth. We need to focus on what is true, not our feelings. Now, the last question, and this is the most important point. Somebody asked, what do I need to do to prepare my environment, to prepare my life, to receive this indwelling by the Holy Spirit? You see this? It resorts people to start asking questions like that. What do I need to do to be able to have this experience? And that's so dangerous, guys. But look at how they answer this. This is horrifying. This is the answer to this in five points. Look at the first point. Be fully persuaded that the baptism, baptism in the Holy Spirit is both biblical and doctrinally correct. So guess what, guys? You need to be convinced in your mind that the doctrine is right, then the Holy Spirit can indwell you. Wow. That is blasphemy. The second point. Confess any known sins in your life 
and resolve to live a righteous life with God's help. So you need to live a godly life to then be able to be indwelled by the Holy Spirit and have this power from on high. Interesting. Okay. Well, there goes regeneration by the Holy Spirit right off the, right off the bat. There goes Sola Scriptura right off the bat. You need to live a righteous life to be able to receive the Spirit of God. But yet, we see in Ephesians that we received it when we believed and we were regenerated by God. So, already, the third answer, begin to worship the Lord with expressions of praise. <laughs> and then believe that the Holy Spirit um, can only be given by Jesus. And then the final one is, yield to a deep welling up within your spirit and allow that inner surge to break through in expression. What does that even mean? <laughs> like, what does that even mean? So feel something very deep inside. And when you feel it deep inside, like, let it come out. That is blasphemy. That's nowhere in scripture. Do you see what I'm saying? They can't even back anything up. They actually didn't even use scripture. They used five points, no scripture. Because none of it is backed up by scripture. So guys, I'm not trying to be harsh here. I'm trying to point to the truth. Like, there is no backing for this doctrine at all. And if you think that there's some hidden doctrine and some hidden, sorry, some hidden verses that justify this doctrine that I did not cover, then, wow, you must be some super um, amazing scholar because none of these pages that are um, led by, you know, people that have studied on their, these teachings have not answered the questions with any other scripture than the ones that I just mentioned. So I would love to have a conversation, though. But in reality, like that is what they stand for. And I've spoken to many charismatics, many, many Pentecostals that would justify their doctrine using those verses that I just mentioned. So again, that's not very good ammunition, guys. So I want to encourage you, those who are listening, first of all, let me, let me just say thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being part of this because you guys are awesome. Without you, I wouldn't be doing this. Without the power of God, I, nothing would happen, right? But you guys... Uh, are an encouragement to me. So I thank you so much for listening. Um, and I want us to address, like, now that we went through all this, like, you should be confident that our belief, our, ox, you know, orthodox belief, our fundamental beliefs, or, for example, like, Reformed theology, which is what I adhere to, like, it is backed up by Scripture 100%. And guess what? It also wasn't started 100 years ago. It also didn't start 100 years ago. So we have confidence, guys, that what we stand for is not only historic, but also backed by Scripture. And what we're seeing in this denominations, in these denominations and these sects of Christianity, we are seeing a complete reliance on experience and a lack of Scripture. So please, those who are listening, that you know, adhere to these teachings and these doctrines, I challenge you, like, please, look at the scripture. Please. Like, really analyze. Is these the only scriptures that you use to justify this that are out of context? Like, please. And if you know anybody that are that's in this movement, like, please encourage them and please drive them to the truth. Like, their doctrine is based on sinking sand, guys. There is no backing my scripture. There is no setting their doctrine on solid ground. It is in sinking sand. So, guys, like always, 
I pray that this was an encouragement to you. Um, I know this is hard stuff to talk about, but it is necessary. So I pray that this is an encouragement to you. Please share this around. Tell people. Follow us on Instagram at Heresy Hunters. Ask us any questions that you guys have. I'm always available uh, in Instagram to answer any questions. Um, I love you so much. Thanks for being part of this. And like always, happy hunting.